Hello, and welcome to Within Normal Limits, COPIC's podcast featuring discussions of patient safety in the modern healthcare world. I'm your host, Eric Zacharias, a risk manager and patient safety consultant for COPIC, as well as a practicing internal medicine physician. Thank you for listening and helping us further COPIC's mission of improving medicine in the communities we serve. All right, well, joining me on today's episode on Within Normal Limits is Dr. Jeff Varnell. Dr. Varnell is a general surgeon and a risk manager at Copic. Uh, Jeff, uh, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. So today we're going to talk about clearing a patient for surgery and really dive more into how this term, this phrase has evolved over time and some of the things, uh, some of the considerations that will help keep the patient safe, uh, help keep the, uh, the relationship strong so that there's no unexpected outcomes with, with the patient. Certainly a few things will be more frustrating as a patient when uh, you feel like uh, things go off the rails after the, after the surgery. And uh, as an example of things going off the rails, uh, there's a case that I know you've used in some of your, your presentation about uh, what seems like a very straightforward situation. A uh, patient needed a tonsillectomy, came in for the surgery, asked to go back on their pain medication. If they could take their pain medications they had at home for pain control, they were told, sure, and uh, things uh, didn't go as anticipated. So, Jeff, maybe relay that story a little bit as to how things can go wrong. Sure, Eric. Uh, so this is a 28-year-old young lady who uh, had recurrent bouts of tonsillitis, and she and her primary care doc uh, decided that maybe it would be best just to have a tonsillectomy to control these episodes. She was referred to an ENT physician, uh, and they scheduled it as an outpatient procedure. A uh, patient came in in the morning. Surgery went very well. Uh, she was recovering uh, in post-op anesthesia, and uh, was ready to go home. Uh, the circulating nurse there asked the anesthesiologist, said, you know, she has some pain medicine at home. Is it all right if she uses that from before? And uh, the anesthesiologist said, sure, um, she can go ahead and do that, but also her ENT doc has written for this other prescription, which she could also take, depending on what she likes to do. So the patient was discharged, uh, did well till that evening. She and her husband went to bed. Unfortunately, when the husband woke up the next morning, he found that the patient had expired during the night. Uh, subsequent investigation revealed that, in fact, the patient was using fentanyl patches. And what had happened was she had managed to wean herself off of those uh, prior to her surgery and had been six months uh, opioid naive, uh, as it were, and subsequently returned to her usual dose. And that plus the oral pain medication, which she also took, uh, led to her demise. So it was an unfortunate outcome of uh, a lack of communication and lack of having an actual pain management plan for this patient for after her surgery. Yeah, it's a real tragic outcome. And it certainly, certainly demonstrates in my mind how easily things that seem simple uh, can result in complications and why it's so important to have that uh, very clear stepwise methodical approach. Uh, you know, certainly if the history had been taken, what is your pain medicine at home? What is the dosing? Yeah. Then 
Uh, a quick calculation would have said, gosh, this is going to be 120 MEDs, and for an opioid-naive person, this is going to cause respiratory suppression and death, but obviously uh, that conversation didn't happen. So that's why we use these important uh, checklists and cleared for surgery. Uh, so cleared for surgery has evolved over time, uh, certainly over the course of my career. Your career started maybe a year or two before mine. Let's talk about how that's, uh, that's evolved. What, what happened when uh, you know, Dr. Varnell would send a patient to me and, they'd say, and you'd say, Eric, clear this patient for surgery? Well, that truly was the case, and I think as now in retrospect, we look at that and say, that's not a realistic expectation that you can, quote, clear a patient for surgery. Uh, I think our goal in evaluating patients prior to elective surgeries is to see what we can do to maximize their uh, condition and ability to get through the surgery safely uh, beforehand and not rely on uh, reacting to uh, events after the, after the fact. So we've kind of moved from initial evaluation was an EKG and a chest X-ray and laboratory values, now of which were of much value, uh, to recognizing that there are certain entities that we can screen for. So we moved to screening for uh, DVT prophylaxis and trying to encourage our patients to quit smoking. Uh, and we've subsequently then moved to you know having a pain management plan, which the previous case shows the importance of that. And then even more uh, uh, wide a scope, which would include uh, looking at many other aspects of the patient's recovery and changing how we actually manage patient in the perioperative period. Yeah, it's, it's, it's moved along. And, uh, yeah, I used to always, I don't know what the right term is to describe my state of mind when the clear this patient for surgery would, would come up, and it's it's kind of – Okay, what, is, what does that mean? I know what it means in, in my mind, which is, uh, as you say, you know, checking for these basic you know, high-risk situations and saying there's no additional things that I'm aware of that, uh, that, uh, that, need, to be, that need to be done. Um, so we've moved on a little bit to, to ERAS, which is a great acronym, by the way. Um, yeah. what is, uh, let's talk about, talk about ERAS a little bit. So ERAS is one acronym that's used. It's, it's uh, uh, enhanced recovery after surgery. Uh, there's several others that are out there, but essentially it looks at, again, patients that are going to have elective surgery and what could we do to uh, maximize their uh, condition before we initiate the surgery and, and what we can do right afterwards to help them recover. So uh, it has a lot to do with preoperative evaluations, including the screening process, as we already noted. Uh, I think nutritional screening is a very important part of that, uh, especially for larger surgeries where uh, a lot of healing will be uh, necessary uh, after the surgery, where there'll be a prolonged recovery period to make sure that they have maximum healing. Uh, we've also shown that you can reduce uh, infectious complications with appropriate nutritional support uh, prior to and after the surgery. Uh, in the immediate perioperative period, uh, changing how we give uh, uh, fluid resuscitation uh, as well has, has uh, improved our outcomes. So in the past, as you know, we would tell all patients, your NPO after midnight, even if your surgery is until 2 the next afternoon. So now we know that we can safely give more fluids in the perioperative period orally, 
that uh, we don't have to first flood them with uh, fluid and then de-erase them after the surgery, particularly if the surgery is prolonged, that you can space it out more so that the risk of pulmonary complications is reduced. Uh, and we can also improve their pain management so that even the necessity for uh, pain medicine when you go home may not be as great. And we've realized that patient's tolerance is better and that we can manage them better in the perioperative period uh, with alternative modalities that help them get through that surgery and have the opportunity to not need postoperative pain medication when they go home. So how much of this is, in your experience, done by the surgeon uh, versus the, the surgical team or the, the PACU team? So this is really a, a team approach, and, and it's most successful when uh, multiple uh, specialties uh, get together uh, in the perioperative period. So it includes, obviously, anesthesia. It includes the nursing staff that work with the patient beforehand. It includes the primary care physicians that evaluate patients' comorbidities prior to surgery. Uh, it does include the post-operative team as well, so that initiating, uh, uh, for example, feeding uh, much earlier and recognizing that uh, we need to evaluate what their home circumstances are when they go home. So do they have the support necessary to continue their medications or to provide adequate nutritional support and even transportation for post-operative visits and physical therapy, uh, all those uh, feed into an optimal perioperative experience. Yeah, it seems like it's just the, the golden opportunity for a, a care management team and uh, knowing back in the day when I first started practicing in the in the mid 90s uh there really weren't that many care coordinators and we were siloed in our office the surgeons were siloed in their space and the hospital was kind of siloed and a lot of this didn't take place much to the detriment of of the quality of the care that the patients received so uh i'm i'm glad this exists. This is a, a great example of, of care coordination, improving outcomes, reducing risks, so that that tragic story like you described hopefully never happens to anybody uh, going forward. Are there any final ideas you have or, or thoughts to share before we uh, close out this discussion? Well, I think it's really a systematic approach that we have to take so that if you have protocols in place and people are familiar with them and uh, you have the opportunity to uh, use the same personnel on your team, uh, then everybody knows what to expect. The patient knows what to expect uh, in the perioperative period, so they're <clears throat> excuse me, alert to uh, changes that, uh, that they may need to contact their surgeon or their team on. Uh, but mostly it's getting those protocols in place that everybody's familiar with and that believes in so that each one of them uh, can be followed through on. Great. Well, that's a, that's a good way to wrap it up and uh, important topic and, uh, uh, you know, systematic approach to patient care is, uh, is, is really valuable when these complex multiple people are involved. So thanks for your time. Thank you. It's been very fun, Eric. Hi, this is Dr. Susan Scambotti, a colorectal surgeon and medical director of Copic, thanking you for being a listener. We hope you find Within Normal Limits to be interesting and informative, 
as we at Copic continue with new ways to bring you content relevant to our mission. Please email us at wnlpodcast at copic.com with show ideas or topics you would like to see addressed in future episodes of Within Normal Limits, Navigating Medical Risk. Also, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice so you don't miss any of our content. And while you're at it, please give us a rating if you enjoyed our show. 